Hey, I'm Steve Folland. Welcome to another one. Thanks for downloading the final one of this season. Hope you've been enjoying it. This episode, as with all the others this time around, have been supported by my course. That's How to Get Started Being Freelance. Basically, I put together all of my own experience, but that of all of my guests of the podcast too, so that those starting out don't have to make the same mistakes that most of us tend to make and have to figure out as we go along. It saves you a lot of time Googling. You can find out more about it at beingfreelance.com. That's the course. Right now, though, let's find out what it's like being freelance. For this week's guest, that is freelance web developer Tom Hurst. People who move jobs tend to get pay rises quicker than the people that stay in, in the same job for a long period of time. The same goes for freelance pricing. I think if, if you just you know charge the, the same rate forever, you're not really going to be um, getting to those higher echelons of pricing. Product work is kind of pitched as complete passive income, which it's not. You've got to be talking about your product, your book, your cost, whatever it is, quite frequently to get you know the sales into an amount of money that you could actually live off. When you stop talking about your products, people kind of forget about them because there's someone else launching another product. What Jumping Strange Freelancing taught me at a very early age it's taught me how to fend for myself really early on. And I think that there's a, there's a point that you get to when you're freelance or solopreneur or whatever that you've always got confidence in yourself that you'll be able to make money somewhere. Yes, yeah, so there is Tom, his story coming up in a moment. You may know him because he's made a bit of his name for himself over the past year on Twitter. I mean, he's been freelance for a long time, over a decade, but uh, has been talking a lot more about his experience on Twitter and gaining quite a following on there. We'll talk about that, no doubt, very soon indeed. Uh, links to him and everybody else at beingfreelance.com that I have spoken to this season and for that matter, across the last six years gulp you can find them at beingfreelance.com this is the last one of the season but that's okay all the others are still waiting there over 250 episodes so if you've missed some you can go back and catch up uh of course please do share them online and if you've enjoyed this season but you've not left a review yet please do consider doing that as well whilst i'm taking a break until september from the podcast it doesn't mean i'm disappearing entirely i'll still be hanging out in the being freelance community so do come say hi you can find links to that at beingfreelance.com. Okay, let's crack on and finish up with this week's guest, and that is freelance web developer Tom Hurst. Hey, Tom. Hi, Steve. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm good. Thanks for doing this. As ever, how about we get started hearing how you got started being freelance? So, yeah, I went through university um, not really doing what I'm freelancing for. So I'm a freelance web developer, but I did multimedia and communication design which is more like videography and things like that so yeah out of university I thought well I best try and earn some money best get a job so I went and applied for a web development role at um, the local college and as soon as I sat in the seat waiting to be interviewed I just hated everything about the whole process I hated wearing a suit I hated (laughs) thinking that I I might have to turn up here every day for the next 10 years of my life Um, and I, I don't know what it was I must have had like these thoughts before but it all just came as like a single epiphany that you know what, I know how to, well, I know loosely how to build WordPress websites. Why don't I go freelance instead? And 12 years later, I'm still here. So literally, your first job has been freelance? Yeah, I've had no job. And I think that everyone always like is quite surprised about that because a lot of people start, you know, in like a, a design agency, development agency, and then go freelance after that. But yeah, I went, I went straight into it feet first. So how did you go about getting those first clients? Yeah, so first clients, 
basically I just told everyone that I knew the skills that I had and how that I could help them out. I think that a lot of people underestimate, you know, their existing network because, you know, that's how network effects work, right? You tell your dad, you tell your brother, you tell your sister, you tell your friends, and then they've got their own brothers, sisters and friends. And if you do a good job for one person, there's a good chance that they'll know someone else who needs a good job, job doing for them too. So that's where it all started for me. And were you living at home at that time? Yeah, yeah. So I had a bit of a, you know, safety net, I would say. Mm. Um, so I was lucky in that regard. Um, so I was living at home. And I just basically just told everyone, look, I've got these WordPress skills. Who needs a website? And then the first two, <laughs> the first two trickled in from my dad and my uncle. And then uh, the, the rest is, is history, really, from, the, from that side of things. So how would you say that you've got clients then over those past 12 years, beyond that first batch? Yeah. Has it all been referral or...? There's been plenty of referral, plenty of repeat business, which I always say, you know, that's, that's the king if you can get it. Um, but yeah, mainly through my personal website. That's my primary marketing channel. So straight away, I got my first client and I was working for them on a long time basis. But in the background, I set up a personal website and I really honed in on, you know, doing some like research into like SEO and things like that that were a little bit out of my wheelhouse, but I knew would stand me in good stead. Um, So then after around six months to a year or so, leads started trickling in because I'd optimized well for, you know, the freelance WordPress developer search term. And then, yeah, that, that's still the main source of leads to this, to this day, really. Um, I do really well on the, on the organic stuff. I don't really pay for any ads. Most of it comes through the personal website. And with that SEO, was that like yeah. local to you or? No, I just, I, I focused broadly on a, a quite a, a wide term. So the main term that I focused on was freelance WordPress developer. Um, I noticed that people were searching for that, did a bit of keyword research. And I just doubled down on making my personal website wholly focused on that. Um, so yeah, it's kind of strange really because there's not a lot of people in the town where I'm from that will pay a decent amount of money for a website. So <laughs> it was always the plan really to go more broad than that. Right. Um, so I decided to optimize for you know a technology in WordPress around my freelance services rather than you know um, web developer in Barnsley, for instance. Yeah. What were you doing? Were you like blogging on it or? It, you know what? I didn't do that much blogging right at the beginning. I just. Like I said before, I just focused on these single service landing pages and it did really well for me. I think um, a lot of the studies that I did about small business when I first started were around like marketing and copywriting. So I think that you don't need that much traffic when, you know, the copy the copy's good and you've got like a really good flow down mm-hmm. the page. And I think that that's what a lot of freelancers fail to do, especially developers. It's more about you land on the personal website and there might be a GitHub link and nothing else. But I always went with, you know, the, the long form marketing angle of a landing page and it seemed to stand me in really good stead so if somebody visited your web page today yeah would that differ greatly from from how it looked over the years gone by um it's probably a lot more polished i'm a lot older on my picture as well but the, the, <laughs> <laughs> a few more grays um as freelancing will do to you sometimes but um yeah i mean it, it's pretty much the same structure and philosophy that i've had yeah. from, from early on it's just just adapted and developed over time how did you get on with pricing so at the beginning, I kind of, I always believe that a freelancer kind of falls into the pricing methodology that the first client gives them. And my first mm. client just said, oh, I'll pay you X amount per day. And that's kind of like what I stuck on for for quite a long time, really. Um, and then like the marketing angle, I kind of got super interested in pricing and how things you know, the, the value of things and variety in pricing and the different methodologies that you can use and things like that. 
Um, and as time's gone on, obviously, I've gone into uh, researching that a lot more, reading a lot of books about it, putting into practice a lot of my own experiments. Um, and now, yeah, my thoughts and feelings have kind of changed. I prefer to bill fixed price nowadays compared to, you know, buy time. I'm intrigued by the word experiments, though. So yeah. you're trying different things out. Yeah, I think I think that's one of the biggest things that a lot of freelancers don't do. They don't experiment ever with the pricing, whether it be the value of what they're charging or the methodology that they're using. And I think that there's a lot to be gained by doing that. I think a good analogy for this is like, let's say, you know, people who move jobs tend to get pay rises quicker than the people that stay in, in the same job for a long period of time. The same goes for freelance pricing. I think if, if you just, you know, charge the, the same rate forever, you're not really going to be um, getting to those higher echelons of um, pricing. So experimenting is something that I wish I would have done earlier on, actually when I first started. What did you try out that did or didn't work? Firstly, different prices. So I was working for the long-term client that I mentioned that I got via um, my dad. And we were on like the same rate for ages. And I was just happy to have work right there and then. And I think that what I should have done earlier is, you know, start increasing my prices. I got more valuable to that client because the, no, the more that I worked for them, the more that they had confidence in me, the, the more that I knew their systems, the more valuable I was becoming. Um, so eventually I did start to increment my price um, by, you know, certain amounts with that client. But first I experimented with new clients. So the clients that were coming in through my personal website, I wanted to, you know, keep my little safety net, but I would experiment with new clients by giving them the new price first. And if I was noticing that I could replace that work with the new, more expensive work, then I add, you know, that again, a backup to pitch against the existing client and raise my price with them as well. Um, so that's kind of the thing that I always say is like, it's good to experiment with multiple clients when you've got uh, issues of price to contend with, because if one won't pay it, the likelihood is that someone else might. Yeah. And so when you started to move more towards like doing a fixed price, mm. Did you find that you had to really be very clear about what it was? A website is a broad thing. Yeah. Did you have any challenges with that? Yeah. I, th I think the main challenge that you will face is um, scope creep, especially if you're a little bit inexperienced with giving fixed prices. But I mean, the, the main two ways to combat scope creep, as I've found it, is to have a really super definitive scope up front that you've both signed. So you can point out, you know, nicely that sorry this is not in the scope we can do a separate project after this and then the second way to do it is to charge enough so that you don't really care about small scope creep <laughs> so so what i mean by that is like let's say on a website um you want to change the color of a font i think that when you've not charged that much you start getting a little bit annoyed by those constant um changes and you might see them as scope creep but um yeah, don't be doing like new features and stuff if it's not in the spec. That's another thing. You've got to be able to stand your ground. And that's where the, you know, the contract or the proposal with the specific scope comes in really handy. Do you use certain software for like um, putting together proposals or contracts? Not really, no. I just use um, Google Docs. I have like mm. a template that I've wrote myself. Um, took inspiration from a few people over the years um jonathan stark has got a really good um proposal template which i've i've looked at and incorporated into my own and put my spin on it um so yeah i just use that no particular software yeah jonathan was on this podcast so if you've not heard that episode go to beanfreelance.com we'll put a link in the show notes to tom's uh to check out his um and obviously he was very much about that ditching 
hourly. Yeah. Um, did you hesitate when you did that? Like, how, how did it feel when you were moving out from that? Um, I didn't because I think I'd seen... I'd, I'd seen the the Matrix, if if you want to use that as a analogy, you know what I mean. I'd, I'd seen that just because I do something, I shouldn't be punished for doing things quickly. And the better right. that I get at my job, the the quicker that I'm going to get. So essentially, I'm going to be earning the wrong way around if I, you know, stick to selling time for money. And I think that once you've actually seen that and you start thinking about the value of conversation, um, it's it's really difficult not to want to make that switch. And you you probably never will switch back. Mm. You've mentioned having like recurring clients, retainer type clients. Yeah. What does that look like for you and how, how do you work it? Mm. I mean, nowadays, I still prefer to do it on a project by project basis. So it'll just be, uh, this is the brief, this is the project price, um, but there might be another project off the back of this project to come later, which we will rebrief and then quote again. Um, but I have done retainers as well in the past. Um, I prefer to do retainers based on, you know, like my availability really to, to answer questions and things like that as opposed to giving a set amount of hours because you, you just, you're just hourly billing really. If you do that, you know, you've got a bit of a loss of autonomy there. So yeah, I, I still try and stick it at the most, most of the times project by project. I think that works really well for, you know, setting expectations and aligning incentives really. I see. So it's less about retainer, more about keeping that relationship going and fitting in the next thing they want exactly that's what it is for me now and i think that that works really well um, for incremental software projects what happens when somebody comes to you and they want something but you're tied up on something else though sometimes i will still take it on and i'll project manage it and i'll get someone else to help me out um because i think when you freelance for such a long time and you've tried to involve yourself in the community and things like that you do end up making good connections um so you can share leads you can subcontract and things like that. Um, but it'd have to be the right project. That, that's kind of what I say nowadays. Like if it's not something that's not a good fit, then I'm just I'm just not bothered anymore. But if I was tied up on a really big project and I was like using most of my um, development time on that, and another one came in that looked like a good fit, I wouldn't hesitate. I probably wouldn't try and you know say, oh, can we do this next year or something like that? Because people don't really typically want to wait that long. So I would probably mm. still try and run the project myself, but bring in um, external help. And when you do that, like, how do you front that to the client? Yeah, no, that's a good one. Um, I mean, sometimes they don't really need to know, number one, because it's like when, if I employ like a builder, I don't really want to know every single person who's laid every single brick. I just want the house at the end of it. And I think that, that, same, that the same thing applies. You know, if someone's coming to me for my expertise and they trust me to facilitate this project, then I think that, a lot of it's irrelevant, you know, and it actually can sometimes benefit a project too. So for instance, if someone comes to me for um, a design and build, I can design, but I'm not the best designer. So I'm actually doing the best for that client by bringing in my designer friend to help me on that. So that's that's the kind of, that's my take on that whole um, question really. How did you find when you started bringing on other people to work with you, like mm. managing those relationships? Mm. I don't do it excessively. I do it only when it makes sense. So I think it's important to keep like a small pool of people that you trust. Um, and then just honesty and just being really open and about, you know, setting expectations like what do I expect from you? Um, who's going to be in charge of, you know, managing the client and things like that. You don't really want there to be any ambiguity or even sometimes overlap. That can be a bit dangerous as well. So if you get, um, let's, let's use the designer and developer um, angle again. If you're both 
you know, having a line of conversation with the client, sometimes things can get lost in translation between the team that you're running. So I think, yeah, it's managing those relationships. It's just about setting expectations, making sure that you're aligned and making sure that each party knows exactly what they're responsible for within the project. We talked about pricing, but how do you deal with payments? Like, are your projects quite long or...? They can vary. They can vary. Um, most of them are probably at least two or three weeks, and then at most they've been years. Um, but again, years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I worked. <laughs> okay. I just. I've just done a website project. I launched it um, at New Year, and that had been. I think it just just nearly two years that had been, um, and that was like on an incremental project basis. Um, I mean, but to answer your question, I try to keep my subcontractors on the same payment terms as how I build the original client. So if it's a fixed price, I will say, look, the, the, this is the, the part of this brief that I would like you to fulfill for me. Can you give me a fixed price as well? And then everybody just knows where they stand and there's no, you know, you don't have all the downsides of the hourly billing stuff like logging hours and arguing about how long things take and stuff like that. It just removes all that um, that nonsense, really. Yeah. But do you take like a payment, like do you have milestone payments or like, it depends. I mean, the default for me is to ask for everything up front if if I can get it. You know, that's the that's the default for me, and then I'm happy then to pay my subcontractors everything up front as well. Um, but let's say most most of the time, you know, you're going to have to give some leeway on payment terms, and I'd rather do that than than give leeway on price, really. Um, so if we go like to I don't know, fifty percent up front, fifty percent at the end, um, I'll then match that, you know, with my subcontractor. Um, but I have done milestones as well before. So, you know, like um, you might do a third and then a third after a month and then a third at the end, something like that. So, yeah, I've experimented with uh, quite quite a lot of these. <laughs> and, w- and what makes you happier? The upfront, everything upfront? Yeah, upfront because it's just, yeah. you know where you stand. You're not chasing invoices, you know. The, the more invoices that I have to write, the higher I'll probably put the price because it's just taking me time. So I, I, the, 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 the least invoices I can send per project, the, the better. Yeah. Um, and about how about how you work? Do you work from home or have you got somewhere you go to? Yeah. So I'm in my home office now. This is where um, I work and I've worked like this for 12 years. So yeah, ne- never had an office, never had a co-working space or anything like that. I'm quite good at, um, I-, I like my own space really. And I think that's where I do my best work in solitude. But that's the thing, isn't it? Solitude. Yeah. But, so so do, do you, are you part of, I mean, you mentioned community earlier, but like, mm-hmm. is it, just you or do you have other people that you chat to about business yeah yeah so I've met a lot of people you know through the last 12 years um you know through the freelance stuff through the the writing stuff through the the twitter stuff as well you know I've met a lot of really cool people I would consider to be you know like genuine friends now uh, even though some of them I've not really met in real life but I think I think the the balance is if you do thrive in solitude when you're working like, like what I definitely do is to balance it with being quite extroverted on the social side, that's that's where my balance is. Um, so I really like, you know, my time with my friends, going to the football, me and my wife like to eat out and stuff like that, take the kids, you know, to the park and stuff quite a lot. So I think you can make it work, even if, you know, sometimes it is quite isolating at times. So how many kids have you got? I've got one and another one on the way. Oh, nice. Congratulations. Cheers. But you're, so how do you find working from home with the family, presumably around? Yeah, it's not so bad because I, they they kind of know like the separation that they know. I'm a, what you see is what you get with me, so they know that I work well when I can focus on things for a long period of time. 
So if they know that um, I'm on a project and the door's shut behind me, they know that, that you know that's it. You know, leave leave dad alone, um, and he'll 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 come down when he's ready and things like that. So we've me and my wife have got a really good system of uh, dealing with things like that. So yeah, it's uh, we dovetail really well. And again, it's about setting expectations really and letting people know how you work best uh, professionally and within the family too. I like that. It's, it sounds like your professional experience led into. Uh, parenthood quite nicely you just got to watch those kids on the scope creep That's <laughs> there's always scope creep with kids you just have to leave them to it how has your business changed then it like is it just client work or yeah so for the first 11 years or so yeah pretty much just just client work um got to kind of a limit of what i could do on my own so started like helping a few friends out bringing them into my projects um but then when the pandemic came around in March last year I think that's it seems to have been forever now but yeah March last (laughs) year um I decided to try and do some other things just to build some other revenue streams and things like that um I got this overwhelming urge to want to teach as well because I've been like doing this for so long now I thought I want to try and like help others along you know through my experience so yeah I've started um well number one I started building an audience on Twitter quite intentionally and then I started um, creating educational products for freelancers, you know, just going through my experience and the tactics and techniques that have helped me. Um, and I also had um, a mentorship program for freelancers as well. So I was mentoring people who were earlier on in their careers uh, one-on-one, and I found that super fulfilling too. And I've actually had to close it down recently because it, it was just getting a little bit too much. Um, the demand was, was higher than I expected. So I'm looking at doing <laughs> that in a more scalable way. Um, but yeah, essentially... The way that my career has changed is that I want to try and help more people on this path uh, at scale, really. Um, and that's like the next, feels like the next chapter for me. Whilst also diversifying your income. Yeah. Let's talk about how you've done that, though, because you, you talked about being intentional in growing your your Twitter audience. So you already had, you know, you were making friends on Twitter. What changed? What did you start doing differently when it came to March 2020 and onwards? Yeah, I, I started just sharing the thoughts that I already have in my head, really, publicly, and seeing if they resonated and helped other people. And then when I noticed that they did, I just started doing more of it. Um, and I just kind of, I guess I got the uh, serotonin rush or dopamine fix or whatever you want to call it. And I, I was really enjoying it. You know, people tweeting from all over the world saying like, thanks so much for sharing this. And it kind of struck this chord with me about how I want to try and help people you know, understand like what being being freelance is all about and how they can make a success of it. And you tend to go for like quite a long thread. That's that's like your it's almost like a blog post <laughs> in a thread, right? Yeah, that's that's kind of become the signature and I I think that they're they're probably the ones that have done the best. Um I do a lot of off the cuff stuff too, but yeah the the threads I think talking in like Twitter and audience building terms, they, they seem really overpowered at the moment. It seems like if you want to really try and grow your following, the, the threads is the best way to do it quick. Mm. Um, and I kind of just like landed on that really, um, especially with the pricing freelance projects one, which I think it's got like 2.5 million impressions. So 2.5 <laughs> million people have seen my, just the thought that I had in my head really that I decided to write out one afternoon. Um, and yeah, it just shows you really how, if you share what you know, how it can like alter the you know, the path of your, your life, basically. And it definitely has done for me, um, as I wrote, I wrote the book about pricing finance projects off the back of that thread. But in terms of timescale, like how, wh- when did you then 
think, oh, okay, I need, I can turn this into something more, and or that there's people here who might want it. Do you know what? Like, you could end up creating things, and then there's like nobody there for it. Mm. You'd obviously already found that people like this tweet, but yeah, what was your process? Yeah, so I, I didn't plan anything whatsoever. I was just tweeting like daily and seeing what resonated, um, and I just thought I'm going to write a thread off the top of my head. What what do I know best? And it was like pricing, something that I've been involved in, obviously, for 12 years. Um, let's just tweet my thoughts about pricing and what I've learned. And then, obviously, like you said, it blew up. So I could see that the demand was there for this information and experience. And I just felt compelled to drop everything else and write a more expanded version of it. So, yeah, uh, from I think the tweet was on 30th of June last year. And I think by the 30th of July, I'd, I'd written a 30,000-word book. So it was, yeah. I probably wouldn't do, wouldn't do it like that again. Um, but yeah, it was just a really good way of... I just started taking pre-orders, you know. Like when I saw the success of the thread, I thought maybe people want a little bit more. And I put a link up saying, um, if you're interested in reading the book, I'll write it. Um, pre-order here. And I think I got like maybe 100 pre-orders or something like that. Um, and then I wrote the book over the next 30 days, edited it, launched it. Um, and yeah, so within a month, basically. Nice. How did how did you put it out? I launched it on Gumroad. Um, I, it was just an ebook. Um, I am thinking about getting it made into um, a physical book as well, using like Amazon print on demand. But it's just something I haven't got around to yet. Uh, but yeah, it's done. It's done pretty well, and people seem to like it. So. And how did you go about? You know, within the space of a month, writing that much. Were you still doing client work? Nah, I, I had to drop everything. I just, I just had this thing. I just felt that the time was now to write this book. I've always wanted to write a book or launch a product, and yeah. and obviously with the success of the thread and the attention that it got, I just thought there's never going to be a better opportunity. Um, but yeah, in terms of the, the method, it was just a Google Doc, write down like all the bullet points of what I want to talk about pricing and what I've learned, and then just flesh them out one by one. But yeah, I was, I was doing no client work for that 30 days. Um, I, w- I wasn't doing much sleeping either, if I'm honest, so I wouldn't want to do it again. But, <laughs> but you know, like when I finished it, it was just such a relief to get that first publication out there, you know, and I think that it will, the lessons that I learned from that will really help me, you know, when I want to, because I, I definitely want to write more books in the future as well. So it was a, a great experience, but perhaps done a little bit too quickly. Yeah, I was going to say, what did you learn f- from it? <laughs> so first of all, slow down. Yeah, Slow down and give yourself a little bit more time. Like, um, I, I, like obviously, as a self-published um, author, you're probably going to have a few typos and things like that. Um, so I didn't really give myself enough time to have an editor. So the first draft that went out had a few typos. So I've since had to go back and release them. But that's obviously the, the benefit of doing it as a digital product rather than a physical book, right? I could go back, edit the um, the text, and then send everybody a new copy um, at no cost, really, to me. So, yeah, there's pros and cons, but that's one of the things that I learned. Just You need more time than that to properly get it edited and things like that. So it's one thing creating it, and I love that you did the pre-orders. Mm-hmm. How have you found then, like, keeping an interest and people perhaps finding your book whilst you're then getting on with the next thing and with client work. And- yeah, yeah. It's interesting, that one, because I think that the product work is kind of pitched as complete passive income, which it's not. Like, you've got to be talking about your 
you know, your product, your book, your course, whatever it is, quite frequently um, to get, you know, the sales into an amount of money that you could actually live off. Um, I mean, recently, counter to that point, really recently, I've not really promoted any of my products this month as a bit of a test, you know, to, to test the word of mouth and to see how that's going without me, you know, constantly banging the drum. And I think, I think I've still made about $1,500, which is pretty impressive to me anyway from the, you know, from not having to spend any time, you know, writing about um, offers and doing deals and sales and things like that. But I think typically when you stop talking about your products, people kind of forget about them because there's right. someone else launching another products. Um, <laughs> I, I have a mailing list as well, which has grown to about 6,000 um, off the back of a free product that um, I launched first. So I can automate a lot of, you know, emails that way as well. So when someone downloads my free products in the footer, I have like a couple of links, you know, to the to the paid products as well. So a lot of it's happening in the background as well. Um, so there's ways and means really to keep it, you know, in the public eye, I guess. What was the free product? So the, the free product, after I decided to grow uh, the Twitter audience, I thought I'm going to need some way to get these people from Twitter onto my email list to own the audience kind of thing. So I, I wrote a really short ebook called 10 Steps to Becoming a Better Freelancer. Um, and that's essentially like my manifesto of what's helped me throughout the last 12 years get, get to where I got. And yeah, I just thought, what can I write about that I can get out really quickly that people will still find value in? Um, because people always ask me, like, why did you not write about like WordPress development? And, you know, I, I kind of could have, but I could write about freelancing because it's really top of mind. You know, I'm doing this, I'm living this life. So mm. that's that's where I really decided on the on the topic for the for the ten steps. Do you think it has helped your business as a web developer at all, though, or is it like two different audiences bringing in different revenue? I think it, I think it has to a certain extent because I think that when you show expertise in one area, it kind of infers expertise in another. So I think if you can come across as like a, a good communicator and like well-spoken and you can write clearly about your ideas, it probably says that you're going to be quite good to work with as well. So um, I definitely see your point though. There's definitely, um, while there is crossover, I do think that it's obviously two different types of people um, that are going to be interested in the two arms of what my you know solo business is. Um, but saying that, there, there has been like clients who have like messaged and saying, "Oh, you know, thanks for this project, Tom. It was really good to work on it." By the way, I just bought your pricing book, and I'm like, "Oh, <laughs> that's cool." <laughs> um, do you trade as I know Tom Hurst, or do you have a company name? Or like, I, I, I meant to ask. Yeah. So for the first like 11 years, um, I was just Tom Hurst, personal brand, freelance WordPress developer, and that's just everything that I did was under my own name. Um, the last couple of months, I've launched uh, like an agency brand name, really, that's going to take hold of eventually all of my web development work. Um, so at the minute, there's not that much difference because it's not, it's just it's still me and then, you know, the freelancers that I work with on a regular basis anyway. Um, but the idea is to do a lot more of the educational stuff. And I think that that's much more suited to my personal brand now um, than what the web development stuff is. So I'm in a bit of a transition with that. But yeah. I think I think you can have both because I know that this is a big contention point for freelancers. Like, do I have a brand? Do I do my own personal name? I think if you're just going to stick to, you know, doing the freelance web development, then I think that you do have a slight advantage as a personal brand. But if you ever want to sell that business at any one point, you can't really sell your own 
brand name because it's you. You can, The business is you, right? So I think there's pros and cons to both, and I think that you can actually try both in parallel. So the new name is a is like a company name, and it's not Tom Hurst Design or whatever. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so the intention there, though, is that it means that Tom Hurst becomes the the guy helping freelancers and the web agency name becomes the font of that work. Yeah, I think that's where it's naturally leading to. Um, I'm still a little bit unsure. I'm just finding my way, but I think that that's, that's where it's going to end up, yeah. I'm sure you'll experiment. Uh, <laughs> I will. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, so in terms of that diversifying income that we mentioned, so you've got the, the book that you created. Uh, what came after that? Did you do something else? Yeah, so I in January I recorded a course called uh, the Personal Website Playbook, which is essentially um, teaching how I've you know generated leads for free from uh, organic SEO traffic over the last twelve years, um, and that's that came about really because number one I wanted to test myself whether I could actually present a video course and not just be you know because obviously I'd wrote the book I wanted to try something a little bit different and I thought that the um, the material of that would work really well in video modules. Um, so, you know, we talk about like marketing, messaging, um, you know, how to narrow your focus and and write nice landing pages and things like that. Um, and that's that's done pretty well as well. So, yeah, I'm, I'm having quite a bit of a success in the digital product game. And So you did the course. Mm-hmm. Anything after that? Yeah, there's, there's, there's going to be more stuff. I'm actually working on um, another short course right now. It's going to be Twitter focused because I think that people, even freelancers, can really increase their opportunities by being active on Twitter. Obviously, my approach has been a little bit different, but I think that if you can build up your own little community and have people that are doing the same job as you, that's a really valuable asset because you can share leads, you can support each other and things like that. So yeah, the the next course is going to be um, Twitter focused, but yeah, to be announced. Cool. And then you mentioned the mentorship, which sounds like it almost went too well. Yeah, yeah. The mentorship, I actually, over the last couple of months, I had to um, stop taking on new mentees because it was just getting, um, the the demand was more than the supply really as as one person trying to help like 20 people on a one-on-one basis. Um, So I've also got some ideas around that and how I can scale it a little bit better. Um, like what I touched on before, how can I help as many people as possible at scale is, is the problem that I'm trying to solve right now. Uh, but community could potentially be the answer for that. How are you like time-wise balancing between mm. the paid clients and the potential paid products in, in the future kind of thing? Because you know, being able to take a month off, even within your schedule, is, is quite something to do. So how do you find that balance? How, how are you managing it? Yeah, I mean, I'm lucky because I've got like a lot of savings and I've done well over the years being freelance, so I can be pretty flexible with my schedule and who I work with, I can be choosy and that. So if I want to do a course, really, what I'll try and do is I'll plan it like on a month-by-month basis. So something that I came up with right early in um, in the year was to try and do like a project per month, whether that be a personal project or it be a client project. So I try and I try and like take one thing as like my main focus for that month and then I'll be doing other little things around it as well but I'll try and have like one primary focus um but to break that down like more granularly like on a day by day basis I never take on like more than two like big tasks that I want to complete so let's say let's use today as an example like I know that um I've got a couple of like interviews like this podcasts 
So I'll do I'll do those like in the afternoon. But then this morning I was working on um, some programming work for a client, and then that's me done. That's my two you know mini projects for that day. Um, and I find that that level of like separation works really well. Cool. Now I always do this thing where I ask for three facts about yourself <laughs> to make two true and one a lie, and let mm-hmm. me figure out the lie. What do you have for me, Tom? Okay. So number one, I used to weigh nearly double what I weigh now. Number two. I once went unawares to a client meeting in a porn studio. (laughs) (laughs) And number three, I was the Yorkshire Pokemon trading card game champion in 1999. Oh, come on. I hope that's true. In fact, I hope. (laughs) (laughs) I hope more than that is true. So, so 1999, mm-hmm. you were what? So, you know, like the game that comes with, you buy the booster packs and then you play the game. We always used to get together at school and we used to play against each other, you know, like with the energy cards and things like that. No, so my kids have got these and I yeah. never understand what the hell is going on. It's, <laughs> it's like pimped up top trumps as far as I can gather. But you took it to like the county level. Yeah. Did you get a trophy? I got in the paper and I got a medal. Nice. Oh, okay, this sounds plausible. Tell me about the porn studio. <laughs> so, so you were going to a prospective client meeting and they just gave you an address or something? Yeah. All I knew is that it was a photographer and it was at this address in Barnsley where I used to live. And I, I turned up and it was a warehouse and it was quite clearly um, an adult entertainment studio. Wow. When we had the meeting and I, I built a website, but it, it wasn't for the... the <laughs> It wasn't for the, the porn side of the business. It was actually for, this is even the funnier part of it, it was for like a family portrait business that you ran on the side. God. And I was like, hmm. Well, you know, who are we to judge diversifying income? We've exactly. talked about it exactly. ourselves, right? So you used to weigh double. How, so how long ago are we talking that you used to weigh double what you do now? This was 11 years ago. And is that a gradual loss? Um, o- over time, a big bulk of it came quite early on in my mid twenties, and then um, it's just been a constant. Like, I'm I'm a, I'm a bit of a plateau now, but then chipped away at it really over the towards my like later later twenties and early thirties. And um, what's your main way of losing weight? Um, gym and dog walking. So I walk. I've got a dog, and he he needs about three or four miles a day. So I'm walking every morning. Then I'm in gym three times a week as well. Oh man, okay, you see your repetition there kind of adds weight to that, but that doesn't mean that you oh, I want the Pokemon one to be true. I love a triumph from a well, I don't know how old you were at the time, but your childhood effectively. Well maybe you weren't, maybe you beat a load of twelve year olds. <laughs> That's why I were champion. <laughs> <laughs> um how old were you in when when you won that? At twelve. Yeah, you, okay, right. So but then the porn studio, that, I mean, that's, that sounds plausible. But where, I'm not sure where the weight loss would come from if that wasn't true either, which makes me think, and now I'm going to say that the the porn studio is the lie. Wrong. <sighs> the, the Pokemon one's the lie. <laughs> Oh, I'm so sad that you didn't win. <laughs> I never entered a tournament professionally. I just used to play with my friends. Oh, man, I thought you were like an early comer to esports before it was a thing. <laughs> I thought you were there. Ah, oh, you totally had me. Okay, now, if you could tell your younger self one thing about being freelance, what would that be? Think like a business. 
you know, put time into learning about pricing, negotiation, sales, keep marketing always, and investing connections. Yeah. Do you ever wish you had gone and worked elsewhere, or are you glad you started straight out of uni, as it were? No, I, I'm glad I did what I did, um, because I think it taught me how to fend for myself really early on. And I think that there's a, there's a point that you get to when you're freelance or solopreneur or whatever that you've always got confidence in yourself that you'll be able to make money somewhere. And I think that that's what jumping straight into freelancing taught me um, at a very early age. And it's, it's always stood me in good stead and gave me um, the confidence that I've got now. Tom, it's been so good to talk to you. Go to beingfreelance.com. There is links through to what all of our guests get up to, uh, which means that you can check out, um, well, check out Tom's website because he's been talking about how effective it is for him. Um, But also, of course, everything that he's doing with the course or the book and and so on and so forth. So that's all at beingfreelance.com. Also, if you're a freelance parent like myself or Tom, don't forget, we also do the Doing It For The Kids podcast, me and Frankie from the Doing It For The Kids community. So since you've got your app out, presumably listening to a podcast, why not search and subscribe to that too? Uh, so search for Doing It For The Kids. But for now, Tom, thank you so much and all the best being freelance. Thanks a lot, Steve. It's been great. Okay, that is it. I am donning my sun hat. It's a very nice hat. Thanks for asking and going off to drain the UK of ice cream as best I can for the next couple of months but like I mentioned earlier I'm not vanishing entirely I'll be hanging out in the Being Freelance community so come join me and over 3,000 freelancers from around the world it'd be awesome to see you in there if you're already a member but you've not popped in recently please do there's always great threads and like Cat Velos said a couple of weeks ago yeah the best thing to do is just to get involved do it every day and then you become a regular and then suddenly you're not alone being freelance in a really genuine way so please do come join us beingfreelance.com before i go though i want to say a big thank you to sophie livingston sophie has been running her own freelance business as kickstart content over the past few years and has been a huge support for me and what i've been doing with being freelance she's been writing the show notes and uploading it and things like that but way more than that she's become a friend and a uh, a supporter you know like somebody who encourages me and kicks me up the arse to get things done uh, she helped me with my very first talk that i did for being freelance when i was nervous like she went through and sense checked and typo checked for course when I created how to get started being freelance like really honestly Sophie if you're listening to this I can't thank you enough when you're creating something like this it can be easy to kind of think oh does anybody care but like really Sophie honestly you have been such a support and I thank you for it you have kept me going with this sophie i wish you all the best i know you're going to do awesome things yay sophie everyone but i continue though with this come september so i shall see you for more being freelance podcast very soon indeed you have a great couple of months being freelance take care see you soon